0: Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs and government ministers come to a proposed agreement on land
1: rights. For me, it's about humility. It is about learning and and, and for all that we have learned over these days and, and the work that we've been able to do with respect has, uh, I think, been It is, as as, uh, Chief Wass said, uh, 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 a milestone in the history of Canada.
0: Justin Trudeau tries to reset the agenda after a series of crises.
1: Focused on the middle class, focused on lifting people out of poverty, uh, and this is something that we're going to
0: continue to focus on. And the field is now set for the Conservative leadership.
2: We're down to the list I think most people thought uh, would be there, and really I guess the question I ask is, you know, what's changed? I mean, it's from the from the moment we saw a steady field uh, several weeks ago and no new names. you know, we know all the names that decided not to run. Um, Nothing's really changed.
0: It's Monday, March the 2nd. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Peter Van Dusen, CPAC's executive producer and the host of Primetime Politics. Hello, Peter. Hi, Mark. Always a pleasure. It's so there very- is a deal between Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs and uh, the federal government, according to cabinet ministers and, and some of the people associated with the hereditary chiefs. Uh, I guess the big question is, what does that mean for the blockades, the demonstrations, and for reconciliation?
2: Yeah, there's two sort of, uh, I I guess, things to consider here. One is, what does it mean for the long-term process of uh, reconciliation, which has been at the center of uh, this government's agenda for, you know, the last five years? What does it mean for that? And, and and perhaps more significantly in the short term, what does it mean for, you know, energy projects? And in looking at This proposed arrangement that they have clearly seems to be focused on uh, hereditary title and land rights, which this government promised to move along in twenty eighteen uh... prime minister made that is made a personal commitment to get on this um, uh, two years ago and it's sort of been languishing as an agenda item and uh, then we had the blow up over the coastal gasoline pipeline uh... because hereditary chiefs had seen no action on it had had their requests for action uh, they claim you know uh, mostly ignored uh, couldn't get a meeting with the prime minister still want a meeting with the prime minister but this deal focuses on Uh, hereditary uh, title and land rights moving forward, that has some interesting implications for how to uh, solve some of these problems around the decision-making process we saw in the the coastal gas line. What rights will hereditary chiefs actually be given in terms of the decision-making process when uh, there are uh, some of these projects or any other uh, government legislation that deals with uh, that has somehow implicates their, the use of their uh, their territories. But what it doesn't do is tell us the short-term answer, question, answer the short-term question is, okay, are are the blockades gone now? I mean, there's really only uh, one sort of significant rail blockade left, and that's in Kahnawake, south of Montreal. But does it stay up? Will the chief signal that, okay, we've made our point, we've made some progress, the talks are continuing, and the blockades come down? Or do the blockades stay up um, because of their opposition to coastal gas link. Uh, yeah. I think that's what to watch for in the next few days.
0: Yeah, and the challenge there is this is not like a negotiation between a government and a labor union where that that union represents all of the members and where it's a coordinated effort. Some of these blockades were set up on their own by a, by a, a group of individuals who might be sympathetic to the broader agenda but not necessarily coordinated by that, right?
2: Right. So... Um, you know, in the last week or so, we, when we saw that meetings were taking place, and the RCMP had agreed to pull back off uh, Wet'suwet'en territory, and end their patrols, and, and have others take over those patrols, we we thought then, okay, we're there'll be a message communicated in the blockades. But the hereditary chiefs said, in BC said, oh well, it's not up for us. We don't tell another uh indigenous nation uh what to do on their territory if they want to keep the blockades up that's up to them uh, notwithstanding the fact that a couple of weeks earlier uh chiefs from bc had actually come to the the, the blockade in ty and and actually appealed to the mohawks or actually made a phone call to the mohawks there uh, from bc and, and said to them uh you know thanks for your support please keep the blockade up so uh, they were providing instruction at that point or uh, or, or asking at least for, for that to be done. And uh, now they say it can't be done. So, yeah, I mean, and what we've seen, I think, over this process, Mark, is it's been this fight over coastal gas link. We now, uh, I think that one of the really important, um, you know, sort of, sort of benefits from what we've seen over the last three weeks to a month is that Canadians have a much better understanding of, some of these land and title issues that uh, you know you know make make putting through some of these big energy projects a, a real challenge and everybody understands that and I think you, you've seen it in some of the polling you know uh, Canadians are open to reconciliation they want this process to move forward and I think you get a sense over the last few weeks of just how complicated it is but yeah that's the thing to watch for I mean it's become a, a much broader issue than just energy projects it's become a focus and a Um, a sort of line in the sand for all you know for indigenous groups for all kinds of uh, of the problems with uh, the crown uh, that they've been lamenting for years so we'll see whether this is enough in the next couple of days for them to say okay uh, we see progress in the west we think it's an opportunity to open up the broader discussion uh, for all of our concerns and yeah let's take the blockades down but I wouldn't be surprised if we hear language that says the blockades will come down, but we'll we'll throw them back up at a moment's notice if Mm. we see things going uh, in a direction we don't like.
0: What does this mean for the Prime Minister's agenda? I'm not sure what his goals were, what was at the top of his priority list as 2020 started, but I think it's safe to say he probably hasn't spent very much time on whatever was on that list because events have certainly overtaken that agenda um, I know he's traveling this week to a number of different Canadian cities. What do you think is um, is in the prime minister's plans as he tries to maybe reset at this point?
2: Yeah, like well, he's still the greatest asset for, for the Liberal Party is when he's out in front talking about what liberals want to do in government. Uh, that's when they seem to do best uh, or have to this point. And I think he needs to get and wants to get control of the agenda again. He wants he wants to go talk about things that the government's trying to do. Talk about uh, objectives the government has. We have a budget uh, coming up probably at the end of March, possibly uh, first week of April. Uh, but a lot's changed. That this was supposed to be a, a whole season and a whole uh, mandate that dealt with trying to get you know control of the, the climate change agenda, trying to bring people on side, trying to make progress, trying to get change, uh, trying to have a um a, a consensus program uh, to deal with climate change in this country but all of that's been knocked off by the events that the government either can control or wasn't anticipating uh would land in their lap uh you know the, the firing down of a plane uh in iran the uh, coronavirus outbreak uh, a lot of people argue the government should have seen this uh, this unrest in, in the indigenous community in BC coming forward because they've been complaining about this for there's been problems coming forward percolating for months and months and months, and no action was taken or that's the claim from uh, the indigenous group so maybe they should have seen that one coming but this will be an, what he really needs to do is get out there and say look okay uh, let's get the program uh, back in place let's tell you what we're trying to do here and sort of move forward with an agenda he does control now I would say the thing to watch for markets uh, if, if we get in the next couple of days an indication that there'll be no more blockades for the moment um he will have been able to uh get through three weeks of blockades and and a hit to the economy and a lot of people criticizing the way he's handled this but if he gets through all this with no violence and no loss of life and things sort of get back on track uh, pardon the pun i mean he might get some credit for that if we come out in the next couple of days and what we have is a plan forward to deal with land title but no guarantees there's no more blockades I think a lot of people will still be saying, "Well, you gave some stuff up. You agreed to move forward, agreed to try and fix uh, the indigenous rights agenda and the land title agenda." But what did you get? What did you get in, in, mm. on behalf of uh, of, uh, of the economy and the you know the rest of the Canadian people to be able to say, "Look, okay, I got a commitment that there'll be no more blockades." If we don't see that, I think the the problem still hangs there.
0: All right, let's talk about the conservative leadership race. Late last week, of course, uh, we got the news that the field was set. The deadline passed. Uh, there are eight candidates in the race. Where do you see it going from here as we enter this new phase now where the field is defined?
2: Yeah, I think that, you know, the, the only, I guess the only really question leading up to this past weekend was, you know, uh, who, who the exact people were going to be in the field and, and whether or not uh, the leadership election committee was going to uh, going to allow Richard to carry uh, the candidate who, who'd made uh, statements about, you know, uh, being gay being a choice and that he would uh, reopen the abortion debate and would reopen the same-sex marriage debate, um, wh- whether he would be allowed to stay in the race. And clearly they made a decision that he's he, he didn't pass muster uh, for the leadership election committee and he's out. And that's upset some social conservatives in the party. But we're down to the list, I think most people thought uh, would be there. And really, I guess the question I ask is, you know, what's changed? I mean, it's from the, from the moment we saw uh essentially a a steady field uh, several weeks ago and no new names you know we know all the names that decided not to run um nothing's really changed i mean we're, everybody's still talking about peter mckay Aaron o'toole and you know a little bit about marilyn gladu but I, I think it's still coming down to a contest involving really those three and a bunch of other names that uh, a lot of canadians still may not know even by the end of the race uh, because they, you know there's a fair bit of recognition for those three names Certainly in political circles in the country, but uh, the others, I'm, I guess what I'll be watching for now is how do any of those other people uh, try to make a breakthrough and get some kind of name recognition or some kind of attention uh, for what they're proposing in a field that, you know, clearly has as the front runner, um, uh, you know, Peter McKay, who used to lead one of the Conservative parties in this country and seems to be uh, the odds-on favourite to, uh, to lead this party, the United Conservative Party, uh, this time around.
0: All right, we'll see what happens. Uh, Peter, thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate it.
2: Always a pleasure, Mark. We'll talk soon.
0: That's CPAC's Peter Van Dusen. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In an editorial, the Globe and Mail argues the Trudeau government is finally getting the right advice on China. The Globe writes, After years of seeing China as a land of rainbows and dollar signs, the government is no longer receiving advice from Fantasy Island. China's retaliation for the arrest of Huawei executive Meng Wanzhou has left Ottawa with no choice but to wise up. Beijing knows how to play, divide and conquer. And for more than a year, it has been doing so with Canada. That has been painful and costly. But by forcing Ottawa to confront the reality of what the government of China is and how it operates, Beijing has done Canadians a favour. In the Toronto Star, Penny Collinet argues that while Canada may be at a turning point, It will not be broken. Colinette writes, Can we move forward in this restless world of 2020, awash in fears of climate change and pandemics? Can we overcome economic, social and political unrest? Yes, we can, provided we proceed with a calm maturity. Our parents and grandparents did not fight in two world wars for a broken country. They fought instead for a country that inspires hope and justice. No matter how much we wish... The injustices of the past cannot be erased. We can only strive to fix the future. In the Globe and Mail, Nimrod Barkin and John Allen argue against Donald Trump's Middle East peace plan. They write This plan would take peace off the table for good, in exchange for perpetual occupation. It declares that the temporary occupation is to be replaced by a permanent military regime, which does not come with full rights for those living under its control. This will never be tolerable in the eyes of the community of liberal democratic countries to which Israel seeks to belong. Ultimately, it will not be Trump who pays the price, but Israel. Now here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. After the announcement of four new cases of the coronavirus in Ontario, a lot of people will be watching federal and provincial health authorities for their reactions. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more.
1: Mark, the four latest cases in Ontario bring the Canadian total to 24. All four cases are of people who have travelled from Iran. Now that is, of course, one of the three latest hotspots and centres for spread of the virus, along with Italy and South Korea. All of those three centres continue to account for much of the new growth in coronavirus outbreak and continue to infect travelers worldwide the debate then continues about when the who will declare the coronavirus a pandemic but as canadians watch our federal and provincial health authorities those authorities behavior has already really shifted anyway with them now ordering wider testing and vigilance about people displaying symptoms even if they haven't traveled from one of the documented four hotspots in the world The interesting thing to watch for though is whether we see an increasing frequency of press conferences and public awareness measures from our politicians and health officials faced with what is becoming a more and more nerve wracking situation for many Canadians, and to see whether we see more discussion about measures such as cancelling public events, mass gatherings, in an attempt to promote what's called social distancing. Also, the priority will be on preventing panic and Canadians from stocking up on fi- on health supplies, which are more needed by health professionals.
0: Thanks, Martin. Also today, National Revenue Minister Diane Le Boutelier will make an announcement in Lévis, Quebec. In Shelburne, Nova Scotia, Fisheries Minister Bernadette Jordan will make an announcement about the Canadian Coast Guard fleet. Environment Minister Jonathan Wilkinson will speak at an event hosted by the Greater Vancouver Board of Trade. Heritage Minister Stephen Guilbeault will make an arts and culture announcement in Victoria. Minister of Seniors Deb Schulte will make an announcement in Surrey, British Columbia. Natural Resources Minister Seamus O'Regan is in Toronto, where he will speak at the opening ceremonies for the Prospectors and Developers Association of Canada 2020 Convention. And Labour Minister Philomena Tassi will make an announcement in Timmins, Ontario. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Monday, March the 2nd. Tune into primetime politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.